the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. Am I the one who will betray you? So so they didn't suspect Judas, but they did each suspect themselves. That's something. You know, we all have a traitor inside, don't we? Yes, we do. In case you didn't know, <laughs> all of us, each of us, we're capable of denying Jesus We're capable of going astray. We're capable of great sin, all of us. It's it's just right below the surface for every one of us. Am I the one who will betray you? Just as the disciples sat around the table the night of the Passover feast and asked themselves this hard question, you and I should examine our own hearts. You would think Judas would have been the obvious choice for these men that knew each other so well, but they were aware of the weakness in their own hearts. As Pastor Dan will warn in today's message, each and every one of us are capable and already guilty of betraying Jesus at some point in our lives. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of John chapter 13 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Jehovah, uh, in Isaiah 42, verse 8, he says, I am the Lord, I am Jehovah, Yahweh, that is my name and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. He says, I'm Yahweh, that's my name, and new things I declare, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. And because he's all-knowing, he can tell us future events before they happen. That's how we know that it's God. It's from God because only God is omniscient in that way. And Jesus says a similar thing here. He, he's, he's declaring his deity in a sense here. And he says, I'm telling you this ahead of time so that you will know that I am when it happens. Uh, Over in chapter 14 of John, verse 29, he says a similar thing. And now I have told you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe. Jesus tells his disciples ahead of time what will happen so that they will know that he's God, he's in control, that all of this is according to his plan. It's not something that's unexpected. It's not something that caught him off guard or by surprise. It was all according to his plan and his purposes. You know, 27% of the Bible is prophecy. More than one quarter of the Bible 
is predictive. It's describing future events. And in some cases, it's describing future events hundreds and thousands of years before they actually happen. That's one way that we know that the Bible is from God, that the Bible is God's word, is because of prophecy. Jesus demonstrated that he's God by predicting his betrayal, his death, burial, and resurrection before it even happens. So that when it does happen, the disciples don't freak out, although they still did, but so that they wouldn't freak out and that they would know that Jesus is God. And that's why he told them ahead of time. Now, verse 21, Jesus very clearly tells his disciples he will be betrayed by one of them. Again, remember, this is at the Passover dinner. They're sitting at a table in an upper room, uh, what we would call the Last Supper. They're sharing this meal. This is their last night together. He's going to be betrayed in a short time and arrested uh, and carried off to be condemned. These are his final moments with his disciples In verse 21, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit. And he testified and said, most assuredly, we would say, listen carefully. I say to you, one of you sitting at the table with him will betray me. Jesus, we're told, was troubled in spirit. That phrase means he was anxious. He was distressed. He was restless. He was stirred up emotionally. It's the same word that's used in Matthew 14 when the disciples were caught in the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Remember that story? It's the middle of the night. They're in a boat. Jesus isn't with them. They get caught in the storm. They're in the storm for hours. And then Jesus came walking to them on the water. And when they saw Jesus, initially they thought he was a ghost. And it says that they were, they were troubled in spirit. And what that means is they were freaked out, right? Because now you think you're going to die in the middle of the storm in the middle of the night. Now a ghost is walking towards you on the water. You're freaking out. That's the same word that's used here to describe Jesus. We don't typically think of Jesus as freaking out. This is the same guy that casts out legions of demons, that calms a storm. No big deal. But now he's freaking out. He's troubled in spirit. He's troubled in spirit because... Judas will betray him. One of his disciples will betray him. Jesus takes no pleasure in people who fall away from him. He takes no pleasure in that. He takes no pleasure in people that turn their back on him. It's it's troubling to him. And again, he said to his disciples, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Verse 22, then the disciples looked at one another They stared at each other and they were perplexed about whom he spoke. Again, try to picture it in your mind. They're sitting around a table. They're having this dinner. It's their last night together. They maybe don't realize it's their last night with Jesus. And he drops his bombshell in the middle of dinner. One of you is going to betray me. And they're, they're staring at each other, perplexed. They're at a loss. They don't know who he's talking about. Isn't that interesting? None of them suspected Judas. Not one of them said, I bet it's Judas, isn't it? I knew from the day you picked that guy that he was no good. None of them suspected Judas. That tells us there was nothing about Judas that raised suspicion. Judas was able to hide his true feelings, his true intentions. He was able to hide 
his sin from all the other disciples. They thought he was one just like them. He was able to hide it from all of the disciples, but he wasn't able to hide it from Jesus. Listen to me. You can't hide anything from Jesus. You can't hide anything from Jesus. It's impossible. We can fool others, but we can't fool Jesus. Everything the Bible says is naked and open in his sight. He sees everything. He sees the thoughts and intents of our hearts, of our minds. He knows everything. He sees everything. That's why, listen, that's why it's better to just come clean with Jesus. Because he knows it anyways. It's better just to come clean, just to confess your sins, just to walk in the light because he already knows about it. Whatever, whatever you might have going on in your heart, whatever plans you have that you're devising, he knows already what they are. So it's better just to confess your sin to him, to walk in the light. In Daniel chapter 2, it says God knows what is in the darkness. He knows. Nothing is hidden from his sight. So it's better just to get it into the light with him and allow Jesus to forgive you and cleanse you of all of your sin. Not only were the disciples completely shocked by this news that one of them would betray Jesus, the other Gospels tell us that they grew sorrowful and they began to say to Jesus, Is it me, Lord? It says one by one they began to say that. Is it me? Am I the one who will betray you? So, so they didn't suspect Judas, but they did each suspect themselves. And that's something. You know, we all have a traitor inside, don't we? Yes, we do. In case you didn't know. <laughs> all of us, each of us, we're capable of denying Jesus. We're capable of going astray. We're capable of great sin, all of us. It's, all, it's just right below the surface for every one of us. And here the disciples, they say, well, was, is it me? Am I, gonna, am I the one that's going to betray you? Verse 23. Watch what it says here. Now there was a leaning on Jesus' bosom, his chest, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, And Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, his chest, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Now this this description here may seem a little confusing to you. Um, You know, how they're sitting at a table having dinner. How does one apostle lean on the chest of Jesus while they're having dinner. So let me just, let me just say a few things about, about this passage and what it's describing, us, describing for us here. Probably most of us picture the Last Supper with Jesus sitting at the center of a long rectangular table and everyone sitting in chairs on one side of the table, just like that. It's not what it looked like. It didn't look anything like that at all. In the first century, Jesus and his disciples would have eaten at a U-shaped table called a triclinium. It's a U-shaped table. It's very low to the ground. It's usually about two feet high. Notice that there's pillows. Those are pillows, those little sandbag-looking things. Those are pillows, and there's, and there's pillows on the ground as well. 
they would recline at the table. They would lean always on their left side, on their left elbow. With their head, you have your elbow, or you can have your elbow up on that pillow on the table, because they would eat with the right hand. So they would reach across and eat with their right hand. So everybody is, is essentially laying down around the table. Jesus would not be sitting at the center of the table. He would be up at the top in position number two. That's where the host sat. The second seat in at the top there. So that's the host's position. He would be sitting there. Again, he would be reclining, leaning on his left shoulder, eating with his right hand. You never used your left hand to eat because you used it for other things. So you always used your right hand to eat. And you would have your disciples sitting around the triclinium, uh, sitting around this uh, U-shaped table. Uh, and they, again, they would recline, especially during the Passover meal. Jewish people today, when they eat the Passover meal, there are still points in the meal where they recline to eat. It symbolizes the fact that they're no longer slaves in Egypt. They're free. And free people, uh, slaves don't recline. Slaves don't rest. And so as part of a Passover meal, even today, Jewish people still recline at the table during a Passover meal. Again, they would lean on their left elbow as, as, and they ate with their right hand. And they would, they would lean on the table and they would have their body stretched out behind them and their feet stretched out away from the table. So their feet would be as far away from the table as it can be because your feet are dirty, right? We'll return to today's edition of Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton in a moment. But first, Pastor Dan would like to extend a special invitation to our listeners. If you've enjoyed the messages on Ring of Truth, I'd like to personally invite you to join us this Sunday at Calvary Chapel. We're located in Columbia, Maryland, just five minutes from Routes 29, 95, and 100. I'd love for you to come be part of our time of worship and Bible study this weekend at 9 or 11 a.m. I always enjoy meeting listeners of Ring of Truth, so please be sure to introduce yourself to me after church. To find out more information and to get directions, visit our website at calvaryec.com. Thanks, Pastor Dan. That website again is calvaryec.com. We look forward to seeing you. Now, back to today's message. Remember the story in the Gospels of the woman who comes in to the meal? Jesus is eating a meal, and she begins to cry, and she begins to wipe his feet with her tears, wash his feet with her tears, and wipe his feet with her hair. Again, for us, we think he's sitting in a chair at a table. How did she get to his feet that are up under the table? He's reclining. His feet are stretched out behind him, away from the table, so she's able to come up behind him and wipe his feet with her tears and her her hair. Okay, everybody get that? That makes sense? Now, the other thing too about this, seating at a special meal like this, like the Passover, any kind of special meal, it, the seating arrangement was determined by the host. In this case, Jesus. You couldn't just sit wherever you wanted at a meal like this. Much like if you go to a wedding today and the reception, quite often there's assigned tables or assigned seating. The host would Assign your seat. There was a pecking order. Seats were assigned. Again, we see in Luke uh, chapter 14, you don't have to turn there, but it's just a reminder just to help you kind of understand the scriptures a little bit better. Luke chapter 14, verse 8, Jesus says, When you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you 
and him uh, come and say to you, give place to this man, and then you begin with shame to take the lower seat. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who, who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher, then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. Again, there's a pecking order here. The host determines who sits where. The host is seated in the second seat at the top. The closer you are seated to the host, the more honorable the seat. The farthest seat or the lowest seat, is the, that's the lowest seat, the one that's farthest away from the host. Now, Jesus would have been seated there in that second position. He would be leaning on his left elbow at the table. And look at the text. The text tells us here now, as you're looking at that picture and looking at the text, we're told the disciple that Jesus loved, which was John, leaned back on Jesus' chest. Do you see that? We're told that he leaned back on Jesus' chest, the one whom Jesus loved. And it says that he, he leans back in verse 25 on Jesus' chest, and he said to him, Lord, who is it? So if Jesus is in position number two, and he's on his left shoulder, the one whom Jesus loved is John. John's able to lean back like this on Jesus' chest and say, who is it? That tells us John is in position number one to the right of Jesus at the table. So John has a seat of honor at this table. He's seated at the right hand of Jesus. Now, look at the text again. The text also says that Peter motioned to John to ask Jesus who it was of whom he spoke. And so Peter gets John's attention. <laughs> you know what this is like? Just ask him. Ask him who he's talking about. And John's going, what? Ask him. Today you would send a text message to the person across the Ask him who he's talking about. So if John's in position number one, next to Jesus at Jesus' right hand, and Peter gets his attention, where do you think Peter's sitting? He's got to be across the table, way over here. Maybe in the lowest position at the table. You know what they kept at the lowest position? Over here by the lowest position? The wash basin to wash your feet. Right? Remember Peter and Jesus getting that whole conversation? You're going to wash my feet? You're not going to wash my feet. Right? But it's, it's likely, we can't say for sure, but if Peter's able to get John's attention, Peter's got to be on the other side of the table. Maybe in the lowest position across the table from John. So John leans back on Jesus' chest. You know, just kind of leans back over his shoulder. He said to him, Lord, who is it? Verse 26, Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. So he dips some bread into some kind of sauce or maybe some hummus or something like that. And he hands this piece of bread to Judas, which tells us what about Judas and where he's seated. He's probably seated right to the left of Jesus. And remember, the seats are assigned. The seats are selected by the host. In this case, it's Jesus. Jesus knows that Judas is plotting to betray him. They come into the Last Supper, the Passover meal, and Jesus says to Judas, I want you to sit here next to me. 
doesn't put him down in the lowest seat, that scoundrel. That's what we do. Put him in the lowest seat. He can wash everybody's feet. I want him as far away from me as possible. I don't even want to see his face. Jesus, loving his enemies, says to Judas, come sit right here next to me. Right next to me. So he's able to hand him this piece of bread. Now, about that, as he hands him this piece of bread, not only does he, is he seated next to Jesus and is given this, this seat of honor next to him at the table, he, Jesus dips some bread and then hands it to Judas. Again, in that culture, Middle Eastern culture, uh, it, was, uh, the, it was customary for the host of a special dinner like this to give a piece of bread dipped into some kind of sauce to the guest of honor. The guest of honor. So by giving Judas this piece of, a piece of bread, he is recognizing Judas as the guest of honor at this dinner. We kind of do a similar thing in our culture. If you have a birthday party, uh, who gets the first piece of cake? The person whose birthday it is, right? The guest of honor, right? Or a wedding, uh, who gets fed first at the wedding? The bride and the groom, right? At the reception, right? You, the guest of honor. At this kind of meal in that culture, the host would give a piece of bread that's dipped in some kind of sauce or hummus or whatever to, to the guest of honor first. And so Jesus is recognizing him as the guest of honor. The guy who's plotting to betray him. Isn't that remarkable that he would do this? That he would honor Judas knowing that Judas was literally moments from betraying him. And yet he invited Judas up to sit right next to him at the meal, at the dinner, at the table. And then he recognized him and honored him above all the other apostles that are seated at this table. Jesus knew that Judas was a thief. And yet he put him in charge of the money. This is how Jesus loved his enemies. This is how Jesus loved his enemies. Not just, at least I didn't punch him in the nose. That's what I wanted to do. So I'm showing love to him because I'm not beating him up. But he honored him. He honored him. I mean, you think about it, you wouldn't, you wouldn't allow a thief to handle the finances. You don't, you don't invest in a relationship with someone you know will betray you ultimately. We, we would look at that and say, well, that's That's reckless. That's dangerous. You're going to get burned. But that's how Jesus loved. That's how Jesus loved, and he's our example. And then finally, verse 27, we see here, now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. So now Satan takes control over Judas. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast. Maybe they, they, some thought there's additional things they need to buy. Or that he should go and give something to the poor. And having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, immediately and it was night. The Passover meal was, was eaten at night. And Judas immediately went out to betray Jesus. His old familiar friend, his best friend, the one with whom he shared sweet fellowship together, the one whom he trusted completely. And it was night, it was night spiritually also. Certainly it was night for Judas, and it is night in the soul of any person who turns their back on the light of life, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. 
Thanks for joining Pastor Dan Sexton today to study the book of 1 John on Ring of Truth. This New Testament letter encourages its readers to grow in faith, to set aside personal agendas, and unite in a pursuit of God's plans. The author wants those who follow Christ to experience Him fully, as well as experience the beautiful gift of a church community. Having a body of believers around you to support and encourage you in your personal walk with Christ is important. You'll also find that a body of believers is somewhere you can be Jesus' hands and feet to others. Are you part of a church? If not, we want to encourage you to find one soon. If you're in the Baltimore, Washington area, you're invited to join us here at Calvary Chapel. We're located in Columbia, Maryland, just a few minutes from Route 95, Route 29, or Route 100. You can find out more at our website, calvaryec.com. You can also give us a call for more information. Our phone number is 410-491-4592. That's 410-491-4592. We're honored to be able to share God's Word with you through each edition of Ring of Truth. If you'd like to listen to additional teachings from this series, you'll find them at calvaryec.com. That's all for now. Join us next time for more on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize